Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hello, and welcome to episode 152 of the Unabridged Podcast. Today's episode is Encouraging Activism in Young People. Before we get started, we want to encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And we wanted to share this review from Marion on Instagram. She is at the Chicklet Book Club. She leads Great Buddy Reads. And she says, these ladies rock. I love listening to these ladies. They are such a joy. I want to know what they are reading. Can't wait for new episodes. So thank you, Marion. And we hope that you will join her in giving us some feedback. We would love to hear from you. All right. Well, we're going to get started with our bookish check-in. Sarah, what are you reading? So I am reading, Mm -hmm. thanks to Jen, uh, one of our prior episodes, she talked about Alan Bradley's Flavia de Luce series. And when she was describing it, I'd never heard of it. And I, when she was describing it, it just felt like something that I needed in my life. So (laughs) I went to my library's app right after the, uh, we recorded the episode and they had the first one available for audio right away. So I have been listening to that and I'm just loving it. It is totally a cozy mystery. In my opinion, the protagonist, I'm not going to say a whole bunch because Jen just talked about it on another episode, but the protagonist is an 11, 12 year old girl. She is very precocious, super smart. And she, likes solving mysteries. So there's a murder and she is along, along with the police who much to their dismay, she is also investigating and going to the crime scene and collecting clues. And oftentimes before they get there. So she, I mean, it is just great. I love it. The audio is fantastic. The narrator is amazing. So I'm just really enjoying it. I listen to it when I walk or exercise and it just, it just captivates me and takes me away. And I feel like I'm in this little, this town, this cozy little town where a lot of murders happen to happen. (laughs) And I just really like it. And I think we talked in the episode that Jen talked about it, that it, it does remind me of the Louise Penny Mm -hmm. three pine series, except this is set in in Europe, but but it, it does remind me the same the same feel as Three Pines. So I'm really enjoying it. Oh, I am so glad. <laughs> and if you missed Jen talking about that one, it was just our last episode. So you can listen back to our Cozy Reads episode where she shared a bit about it too. I can't wait to read that. They're it really sounds fun. so good. Oh, I have to tell good. you all, since that episode, our my family watched Enola Holmes on Netflix. And I got similar vibes to Flavia. So I might have to watch that. Yeah, we really enjoyed it. And the boys were a little skeptical, but they really ended up enjoying it as well. So Enola Holmes, played by Millie Bobby Brown, reminded me a lot of Flavia. Just She does not have an interest in 
poison, but otherwise <laughs> she was similarly precocious and just her narrative voice again is just great. And she talks to the watcher, to the viewer a lot, which is fun. So I love her. I love her from Stranger Things. So I, as soon as I saw the trailers for that, I really want to watch it. It looks great. I also don't think I said the name of the book because I just said it was number one. So it is Alan Bradley's The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie. So it was, it's really good. (laughs) Makes me happy. All right, Ashley, what are you reading? So I got back into Jenny Han's books recently, and I absolutely loved her To All the Boys I've Loved Before series and then had not read her other series So I was looking for something that had a similar, I think I really love that her characters go through things and they are working through relationships and often have obstacles to overcome, but she also has this really great feel and the characters relate to each other really well and the books are really sweet. And so I was looking for that and found The Summer I Termed Pretty on my Kindle And so I read that one and then I found the next one on audio. And so I listened to that and now I am listening to her will always have summer, which is the third in the trilogy. So I'm loving it. It is about belly is the main character and she and her brother and their mom always spend the summers at a house with the mom's best friend and her two sons. So it's the four kids the two brothers, and then Belly and her older brother. Belly's the youngest of the four, and they have grown up together, but only in the summers. And it's just a really sweet story about her coming into her teenage years and developing a crush on one of the brothers. And then the story evolves from there. And I think one of the things I love about Jenny Han is she does a great job of bringing in memories of past experiences and then weaving those into the current time. And I think she does that really well in this one as well. So you get some backstory about the summers that have led up to the one that is called the summer I turned pretty. And I mean, I just think it's been a really great experience. So I have to say that I think I still love to all the boys I loved before more. I love that series better, which maybe is because I read it first, but I am really loving this one as well. And I'm glad that I came around to it. I told Jen and Sarah that I honestly do not find either the title of the first book or the cover, (laughs) the cover that I had seen. I've actually seen some other covers since, but I used to have it in my classroom and a lot of students liked it. And the cover that I had seen, I did not, neither of those things were working for me, which is part of why I had not gotten around to reading it. And then when I realized it was Jenny Han, I love her so much. So, so anyway, it's been great and I'm excited to finish up the trilogy. So again, that's Jenny Han's We'll Always Have Summer and it's the last in that series. That's so much fun. I love her. I wonder when she'll put out her next, I'm assuming, trilogy. I guess I shouldn't. But yeah, it feels like there should be another one coming out. Soon. Yeah, I hope yeah. so. I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Jen? What are you reading? So I am reading Jason Reynolds' Long Way Down, the graphic novel, which is illustrated by Danica Novgorodov. I'm not sure if I said that right. We tried to find her, the pronunciation, but could not. But it is absolutely gorgeous. So we have talked about Long Way Down, the verse, the novel in verse a lot on the podcast and absolutely love that. And I have, am a real fan of graphic novel adaptations. There was one recently for Rainbow Rouse Fangirl 
And there's one I love for Anne of Green Gables. So I think they work both for classic works and more modern ones. And this one, I think, does what the best adaptations do. It takes the story. It remains faithful to it. But it just changes the medium into it's just this really impactful art. It is absolutely gorgeous. It looks like watercolors. And there's this really clever use of color and of black and white to highlight certain elements on each page that are important. You see Will descending into this despair after his brother is killed at the very beginning. And then because this is a book that has elements of the paranormal or of magical realism, the art is able to emphasize that element of it as well. So I have not seen, I'm assuming that it will, the story will stay the same through the end, but I have not seen the way the ending yet has been adapted. I'm really intrigued by that, but I didn't want to peek ahead. So I'm looking forward to that. And, you know, as graphic novels always are, it's a fast read, but there's so much to look at on every page. It's, I've, thoroughly enjoyed that adaptation. So again, that's Jason Reynolds is long way down the graphic novel illustrated by Danica Novgorodov. Yeah, I can't wait to read that. I was so excited to see it coming out. I think it's going to be great. And I think it's great. I I want to read it personally, but I'm also so excited that it takes a book that I think already really invites students, but makes it even more accessible to, to reach an even wider student audience, which I think is really great. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right. Well, we want to move on to our main segment here, which is encouraging activism in young people. And I will say we were talking before we started recording and all had additional recommendations. So there will be a bookish fave coming sometime soon that shares even more recommendations. But each of us has chosen just one book to share today. And Ashley, do you want to go first? Yeah. So like you said, Jen, I mean, it's just really hard to decide. I think there are so many great books coming out that promote activism and a lot of different kinds of activism. And I think that's really great for kids to see that there are a lot of ways to be an activist and that there are a lot of pathways to take and a lot of causes to support. But I did choose Brandy Colbert's The Voting Booth. And I chose this one because I think it's timely. And I think that it does such a great job. She does such a great job of exploring the way that teenagers can be active and engaged in the voting process in America. And I just think that's really awesome. I think it's really cool to see how teens, even before they're at 18 in a voting age, can be involved in democracy and can be excited about making changes and can help people make those changes. And so I think all that's really cool. So this is the story of Marva and Duke. And Marva is, and another thing I like about the book is it all takes place in one day. It all takes place on election day. So I think that's really neat. Like I think books that span long periods of time are really interesting. And then I think books that are like a capsule examination of a single day are also like really fascinating. So I loved that about the book too, but it is Marva and Duke and they do not know each other, but at the, in the morning when it's time to vote, Duke is not able to vote at the polling place. And Marva is a passionate, passionate activist who has been working very hard for all of her teenage years to encourage people to get out the vote and to be involved. And so she's so excited to finally be able to vote for herself. And then she sees this happening to Duke. And so she will not stand for that. 
And, and so because of that, they develop this friendship and it just opens up this adventure of them trying to work through all the obstacles that he faces as he discovers that he can't vote. They, I don't want to do any spoilers, but there's a lot of really interesting things about what leads to that moment where he thinks that he knows where to go. He knows that he registered. And yet when he gets there, he's not registered at that polling place. And again, that can be a huge obstacle for people. So I loved how it looks at the voting process and the ways that there are significant obstacles for people that prevent them from being able to cast their vote. And so while I think that Colbert really promotes the importance of activists getting people to vote, she also takes a pretty critical examination of obstacles that are unfairly placed on people that make it really hard for them to be able to cast their vote. So I loved how that happened, that she simultaneously was able to say voting is really important and we all need to do our part, but also to showcase how it can be very difficult for people to actually get to exert their right to vote. So I thought, oh, that was really great. And we did that one for a buddy read in October and people... It was very well received, and I love seeing people's comments about it. And I just think it is a great story for teens. I think that while I really enjoyed it as an adult, and like, you know, for all the reasons I said, I love looking at the voting process, I love examining how we do it and why and kind of looking at what that can mean for people. They they look a lot at older people in the community and how, you know, getting transportation to get to the place to vote is really challenging. They look at all of that. And so I think that part is really rich. So I loved it as an adult, but I think that teens is very inviting for teens as well. And I love that. And again, I don't want to give any spoilers, but I will say that as the story progresses, I think they also, Duke and Marva, as the plot moves forward, they become activists who really get an organization going. And I think that's really cool to see teens taking charge and being empowered and saying, okay, we've got to solve this problem. How are we going to solve this problem? How can we do that effectively? And then seeing them do that. So that's really cool too. So again, that was Brandy Colbert's The Voting Booth. And I mean, I think I, I think Jen and Sarah could both comment as well since we have all read it, but I thought it was a really great mm-hmm. read. I loved it. Yeah, I love that recommendation. And I think too, it confronts, because it confronts the complexity of the system, it's it's not this overly idealized view of what being an activist is or of the system that you're trying to support. It is this honest look at, like you were saying, just the, the things that they talk about that are wrong with the system, but also the fact that the only way to change the system is to participate and to work towards toward it's becoming better. And yeah, I, I love it. And so it's so great to have such a powerful message and such a readable book with such great characters. Oh, as you were talking about them, I just love them all over again. They're yes. so great. <laughs> yeah, I love that too. And I think even the secondary characters, mm-hmm. I love Marva's family. I love getting to know Duke and his circumstances and his family. And I think they, that part's really rich. And then I also love how how when they're trying to go from place to place to get him to the right place to cast his vote, we see the obstacles of other mm-hmm. people who are in a lot of ways being disenfranchised because of the lack of opportunity to cast the vote that they're trying so hard to cast. So I think that that is a really powerful message. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, Sarah, what's your recommendation? So I decided to do a children's book for this one. And I wanted to talk about Monica Clark Robinson, who is the, the 
author and then Frank Morrison, who is the illustrator, their book, Let the Children March. So this book is a nonfiction book. It tells a story about Black children in Alabama and Birmingham, Alabama in 1963, who volunteered to march for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That they were inspired to march for their civil, civil rights after hearing Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. speak. And they protested laws that kept Black people separated. So they were protesting segregation. And I mean, these were really young kids. And what I love about this book is that I think sometimes it's difficult to talk to young young kids. Like I think about my daughter who's nine and my son who's 12, who it's hard to talk to them about advocacy and how they can be advocates and how they can, um, you know, speak up. And I think that this book gives a, a, such a great story about these kids who saw the, these injustices and they did something about it. And then Frank Morrison's illustrations are gorgeous. I mean, they they are just like each page is just phenomenal. And I read this with my daughter last summer. And I mean, she she loves, I've said, talked about this on the podcast before, but she loves nonfiction stories. She loves stories that she can ask questions about. And the first question she always asks, is this the real story? You know, yeah. and so it's really nice to be able to show her these examples of these kids doing amazing things. And being advocates for what they believe in. And I mean, I just think this is a really excellent children's book. It is there. The illustrations are excellent. The story is amazing. And they just do a really good job of bringing that advocacy to life for young people. And I did a, a teaching tidbit in October about using picture books in the secondary classroom, because I think it's really important to have common text, but we don't always want to read really long books all together. And I think that books like this offer us the opportunity to talk about things that are really important and have a common text to refer to. But it, it's really, it only takes five or 10 minutes to read it. And I think that sometimes picture books are overlooked in secondary, but a lot of kids really like to read them and they like to see the pictures. And I mean, and there are so much amazing children's literature out there. I think it's really important. And this is a good example of a book that you could use in the classroom. So that is, sorry, <laughs> that is Monica Clark Robinson and Frank Morrison's Let the Children March. That sounds so that good. It's really good. I love it. <laughs> What about you, Jen? What's your choice? So I had a bit of a struggle, but I have landed on Dave Cullen's Parkland Birth of a Movement. And I loved this book. I will say it has been a little while and I don't want to misrepresent anything. So I'm not going to talk about it in detail, but I do just want to talk about what I loved about it. So Dave Cullen, I first became aware of him when he wrote his book Columbine, which was an account of the Columbine shooting. And that book is an incredible piece of journalism if you haven't read that. And so he writes really honestly at the beginning of Parkland about how traumatizing that endeavor was, that researching Columbine and writing about it and really focusing on the event itself and, and what led up to it, just he had a hard time digging his way out. And so when he decided to write Parkland, it was this, can I, can I do this again? But what he focuses on is the activist movement that arose from Parkland. And so he talks a lot 
It sounds weird to say that this is a book about hope, but I think it is. And he is definitely very honest about the impact of the shooting at Parkland and the impact on the students who were survivors who decided that they needed to take this tragedy and and make a change on the base of it. And so he is really honest about the PTSD and the aftermath and the way some of them seemed okay at first and then later had difficulty or the way they reacted to each other's reactions. And it just obviously something like that is very challenging. And so he writes so with such honesty about his own feelings and about the feelings of the students. But what is so powerful is to see a group of kids who are able to come together They're able to move beyond their sadness and their anger to use it as fuel for something that they hope will bring about change. And so to see him focus on each of these remarkable kids is is just really inspiring. And so it is a book that is, it turned sad and definitely it made me angry. And But it is also, you think about the power of students and the power of kids and the way that they see the world and the fact that that can be something different, that they can do something different and that sometimes they can do things adults can't do just because of our perspective and our way of approaching the world that sometimes kids have access to social media. He talks about the masterful way that they use social media in ways that no protesters before had thought about doing. He talks about the training that they had had in their extracurricular activities and the way that they turned those into into sort of scaffolding for the movement. So students who knew about, who participated in debate, use that. Kids who were in the theater could use that. So again, I don't want to go into detail because it has been long enough that I don't want to misrepresent anything, but I just think Colin is a remarkable journalist, but to see him approach these two similar events so differently, I think shows us the way we as a country are approaching them hopefully differently and the way that even though tragedies like this are still happening, there is also a lot of attention being paid to what we can do and the ways that we can combat that type of violence. So so that is Dave Cullen's Parkland Birth of a Movement. Yeah, that sounds so powerful. I have not read that one yet. And that makes me more inclined because I mean, it was like you said about Colin writing about it. It is hard to look at those things in the face. I feel very strongly about gun laws. I feel very strongly about the changes that aren't happening. And so sometimes it's hard when you feel like you can't bring about changes that you think are necessary. It's hard to examine them closely. But I that angle on you know the kids role that makes me really want to read it because that when that was happening it was really empowering and encouraging to see that there's hope for change yeah all right well we are going to end on theme with our give me one segment and today we're talking about ig accounts that support activism so sarah do you want to share one Sure. So I'm going <laughs> I'm staying right on brand today going with the children's books. There is an excellent account that actually Ashley is the one that told me about it a while back. The Instagram account is Here We Read and it's here like H E R E and then W E E read. So here we read. So the lady that runs this account is a diversity and inclusion expert and she does an excellent job of promoting 
and finding really quality books that have tons of diversity and educational value. And it's just an excellent account if you're looking for inclusive literature for kids. And I highly recommend it. So again, that is the Instagram account, Here We, and that's with two E's, read. That sounds great. Yeah, I love that account. Ashley, how about you? Yeah, so I another one that I really love is The Conscious Kid. And they have this is the what the description on IG is parenting and education through a critical race lens, diverse own voices books, black and brown owned. And I think what I really love about everything that is shared on there, they share lots of great resources and books. And so I really love that on the account. But I also like how they will take on issues and explain Mm -hmm. to people why there is a problem with what's being said or with how, how things are being handled. And so just as an example, they had these couple of really gorgeous photos of these black girls who are wearing designs that had been created by black fashion designers. And as a follow-up, there's a post and in the post, it says, stop telling women, and, and I should say, the, the girls look lovely, but they're not smiling. And so there's a follow-up post, and it says, stop telling women and girls to smile. It's sexist and communicates that how girls look is more important than how they feel or who they are. It also reinforces the patriarchal idea that girls shouldn't have autonomy over their own bodies and exist to be controlled and commented on. And then in the description below, the conscious kid writes, a note to the people who felt the need to tell the black girls in our previous post to smile. Please don't. And they went on to explain why, and it says specifically about being racialized, it says black people are expected to smile to maintain white comfort. White people are also more likely to see neutral black faces, including children's faces, as threatening, less innocent, and more aggressive. Have you ever been told to smile? And so I just think I really appreciate that because I think they are willing to take a stand and to say a thing. And I don't always agree with every single thing that they say, but they certainly help me to think in critical ways Mm -hmm. that question the assumptions that I make when I wake up every day. And I really appreciate that. I appreciate things that will help educate. And like I said, they share great resources and those kinds of things, but they also promote a lot of discussion among people about topics like race that we need to work through together. And so I just really appreciate that. So that's just one example. But I think they do that all the time. They'll have this amazing post. But then if there is a need to follow up and comment, they will. And they will go in a place that potentially could make people uncomfortable. And I appreciate that they're willing to do that. So yeah, it's a great account. And if you have not checked them out, they have great resources and also lots of important commentary on what's going on in our society. And again, that was the conscious kid. That's great. What about you, Jen? What's your choice? So I follow a lot of authors on Instagram, and one of my recent favorites has been Nick Stone. I think she is doing some amazing work, both as an author. I think she is just writing some great books that are super timely about really important issues, and just as a force on Instagram who is bringing together different voices to work through some of the things that are happening in our society. And so... After George Floyd's murder, she had this series talking with different authors to work through a lot of the issues related to that. And it's just really interesting to see her in conversation, thinking about what all of these things mean and how authors should be reacting and how to talk about those things with young people. 
she recently, so I talked about Dear Justice on the podcast. And when that book was published, she had a challenge. So if you pre-ordered the book, money would be donated to the Prisoner's Literature Project. And so that's another way that she is just rounding up people to give money to these causes that really matter. And so I just appreciate seeing her both as a great author for young people, but also as someone who is modeling, taking on tough issues, working through them, being willing to have conversations with a lot of different people. So that is at Nick Stone. Yeah, I love her account so much. She's amazing. She really is. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Keep an eye out for that bookish fave with all of the recommendations we couldn't fit into this episode. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.